Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and welcome to SL Green Realty Corp's fourth quarter 2023 earnings results conference call. This conference call is being recorded. At this time, the company would like to remind listeners that during the call, management may make forward-looking statements. You should not rely on forward-looking statements as predictions of the future events as actual results and events may differ from any forward-looking statements that management may make today. All forward-looking statements made by management on this call are based on their assumptions and beliefs as of today. Additional information regarding the risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause such differences to appear are set forth in the risk factors and MD&A section of the company's latest Form 10-K and other subsequent reports filed by the company with the Security and Exchange Commission. Also during today's conference call, the company may discuss non-GAAP financial measures as defined by Regulation G under the Securities Act. The GAAP financial measures most directly comparable to each non-GAAP financial measure discussed and the reconciliation of the differences between each non-GAAP financial measures and the comparable GAAP financial measures can be found on both the company's website at www.slgreen.com by selecting the press release regarding the company's fourth quarter 2023 earnings and in our supplemental information included in our current report on Form 8K relating to our fourth quarter 2023 earnings. Before turning the call over to Mark Holliday, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of SL Green Realty Corp., I would like to ask those of you participating in the question and answer session of the call, please limit your questions to two per person. Thank you. I would like to turn the call over to Mark Holliday. Please go ahead, Mark. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Good afternoon, and uh, glad everybody could join us today. extremely happy and I'm extremely proud with how we ended 2023 navigating what was a challenging year and showing that we have turned the corner going into 2024. We're just a few weeks into the year and only seven weeks on from our investor conference, but we already have so much new activity that we want to talk about and share with you today. Normally, I don't like to repeat the uh, earnings press release. Most of you have it. You've read it. Um, and I don't like to do that on these calls, but I think today is different. I think it deserves a moment to reflect on what we have achieved in the fourth quarter and at the outset of the year during these uh, first few weeks. At Two Herald, we increased our ownership in a well-located asset and fully resolved a $182.5 million leasehold mortgage, all of which was accomplished for very little out-of-pocket. There's more work to be done for sure, but we are on our way to stabilizing this asset. There was seismic news in New York City retail this month with Jeff Sutton, our long-term partner and friend, and among the best retail deal makers in the city. Wait, Jeff, if you're listening in, I know what you're thinking, the best retail deal maker in the city, pulled off not one, but two amazing deals. 717 Fifth Avenue sold for $963 million generating full repayment of the capital stack, plus distributions to Sutton and ourselves, equating to approximately $8,000 per square foot of sale price. And to prove this isn't an outlier, right across the street, at another legacy Green Wharton asset, Prada bought 720 
and 724 Fifth Ave for $835 million, uh, a deal that was also just recently uh, closed. And these deals developed, you know, quickly and confidently, and I think it's very, very exciting for the city. Uh, we had a third great example of user acquisitions in the retail space in the 30, past 30 days uh, with the Swiss retailer Acre buying the entire retail condo that we owned at 21 East 66th Street for over $40 million and exceeding $7,000 per square foot, thereby putting an exclamation point on the trend of retailers making permanent commitments to New York City through the purchase of desirable retail assets. This is Acre's second purchase from SL Green over the past year. We expect this trend to continue as we are already aware of another transaction in the works in that part of town. Obviously, 717 wasn't an anomaly in confidence in Fifth Avenue and high street retail in New York City is once again on the rise. But let me remind you some of the headlines jumped from the past few years relatively recent headlines. When FT declared the death of high street retail, Cranes talked about a retail apocalypse on 5th. And New York Times concluded that retail has abandoned Manhattan. My point here is simply that people often underestimate how quickly things can change from these sort of uh, hysterical media headlines to record-setting transactions just a few years later. I urge you all to keep this in mind when you read similar headlines about the office sector. Speaking of office, we ended the year strong with over 500,000 square feet of New York office leasing in the fourth quarter, which enabled us to report an uptick in occupancy for the second consecutive quarter after having stated publicly last summer that we believe the market uh, had essentially hit bottom. And JLO recently reported that SL Green signed the greatest number of triple digit leases in all of New York City last year. There's good news on the debt front as well. We gave you a business plan in early December with ambitious plans to extend, modify upwards of $5 billion in debt, uh, which certainly gives new meaning to the definition of stretch goal. Uh, happy to report that even before the year ended, we put the first one on the board with seven day, which we successfully extended for three years at terms that are favorable for the asset and should help us get our JV done on that asset. Uh, another aspirational goal we set of a billion dollars of debt reduction uh, this year on the heels of a billion dollars of debt reduction last year. And we've accomplished already over 200 million of that reduction uh, sitting here in, you know, sort of mid-Jan. So not to be overshadowed by all this great news, our premier development on 760 Madison, which has really set, uh, I think, a new standard for Upper East Side uh, bespoke New York luxury, and we just signed a contract uh, this morning for the ninth floor, bringing us to six out of 10 units spoken for with a contract out on a seventh. Uh, so we're off to a great start, certainly confident in our business plan and optimistic about the city's continued recovery, where we have some positive indicators to report. The city's OMB forecast for 2024 is hot off the press and looks really good with over 90,000 private sector jobs forecasted for this year and another 97,000 jobs forecasted for 2025, certainly continuing to bring New York's employment base to record highs. 
As or more importantly, after a year where we saw slippage in the office using employment, the city is forecasting a robust reversal that is, will more than make up for those losses with 42,000 office using jobs projected for this year. And that would also set an office using record in 2024. So kudos to the Adams and Hochul administrations and all involved for helping to bring back tourism, improve security and implement pro-business policies. As a result of all that, we are launching our fundraising efforts to amass a minimum of a $1 billion uh, capital allocation to become active participants in this city's ongoing recovery and resiliency. In fact, after we get off the phone, we're heading to the airport and we're on a plane to Asia to uh, formally kick off those efforts. We're excited about the prospects of this, got a lot of excellent response and inbound inquiries on these efforts. Most importantly, what we're doing, along with other announced deals, shows that new capital is forming in this market. The second indicator that we passed the bottom, of course, the first indicated being our statements to you in July of last year. With that, happy to open it up for questions. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a question, if you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star 1-1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. One moment while we compile our Q&A roster. And our first question is going to come from the line of Steve Sakwa with Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, yes, thanks. Good afternoon. Uh, Mark, I was just wondering if you could provide a little bit more color on the two Herald uh, transaction. Uh, I think just what the bank did in effectively, you know, letting you uh, basically pay off that mortgage for close to zero was, you know, it's a great deal for you. I think everyone here is just trying to understand kind of the hows and the whys and, and you know, how that deal ultimately kind of unfolds and, and how you're thinking about the economics of that deal. Well, I take that as kudos for getting a great job done on that deal. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, everybody in this market is, you know, trying to come together to, uh, you know, make sure that these assets have a safe landing. Uh, this is a great asset. I love the location. I think it's, uh, well, I know it's Ulta's number one uh, location in sales per foot in its entire uh, 400 um, uh, store portfolio throughout the country. 1,500. 1,500. Sorry, 1,500 uh, throughout the country. Number one. I mean, that, that says something, uh, but it also says that, you know, it's an asset that we're going to have to, um, you know, really start to think about what's the best use. The beauty is there's a lot of different uh, options and alternatives that we could look at here. Uh, it's great for office. It's an unbelievable retail location, right, you know, across Macy's. Um, it's in a part of town that's seeing a lot of capital investment and upgrade. Uh, it has the ability to flex as residential, both dormitory, which we've actually seen because Mercy College is, is there, and, uh, you know, potentially for, um, you know, some conversion to other residential use. Um, a lot of options, and that's what we like. You know, we like deals that give us optionality. Um, we got to roll up our sleeves here, and you know, writing the capital stack 
is just um, you know is just is just part one, but executing the business plan over time will be part two, and hopefully all of us, you know, including our partners and and others, will come out of this, um, you know, with something good to talk about uh, in the future. Okay, and my second question, I, I think at the Investor Day you talked about uh, mark-to-market being in the 2 to 5% range for uh, 2024. However, when I look at the disclosure that you have towards the back of the supplemental where you provide your lease expiration schedule and your expectations of asking rents today, it looks like the 24 leases in both wholly owned and unconsolidated show roll downs. And I realize these are just asking rents and they're different from maybe what gets signed, but is there just any way to kind of tie those two together or what are we missing kind of on this schedule on page 40 and what you provided at the investor day? Steve, it's Steve Durrells. Um So, you know, it's, as we look at our pipeline right now and the mark, the mark associated with the, the pending transactions or the prospective deals that we think are likely to convert the deals. It's the mark, the market on in any particular deal is kind of all over the board. I'd say half of them are, are positive up, half of them are, are down um, to varying degrees, but they're within our current 1.4 million square foot pipeline. Um, we are, you know, there are, there are enough large deals with very significant mark-to-markets that are positive that will drive the overall overall average up. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. And our next question is going to come from the line of Alexander Goldfarb with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hey, uh, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, and uh, yeah, congrats on two, Harold. Uh, Mark, you know, before you get on that plane uh, to Asia, just want to understand better uh, the, how investors, the uh, international or domestic institutional investors, are thinking about investing in your debt fund versus investing in real estate directly. I mean, you're out with potentially a one Vanderbilt stake, but you're also out with a debt fund, and just trying to understand how private capital is thinking about those two options. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, Alex. I mean, it's different flavors for different investors. You know, some investors have different pockets for both. Uh, it's not exclusive. I didn't mean to imply that, just, you know, FYI. We're going – the debt fund is, is you know, one element of what we'll, we're having meetings about. Um, I think we've got over 20-some-odd meetings lined up over a five-day period, and there's a lot to talk about. You know, on the uh, the debt fund is certainly exciting. Uh, as are some of our, you know, JV and equity uh, um, opportunities that we'll be talking about, in addition to uh, some of the other things that we're involved with in the entertainment and hospitality world. So we've got a full agenda. Um, you know, certain uh, certain of these investors uh, are credit oriented, and that's the way they want to play it. Others are you know, sort of high-end, long-term equity-oriented uh, investors. And, you know, the ones, uh, the, the best are both, you know. And, uh, and, and trust me, we'll be, um, you know, putting lots of opportunities out there. The key is, is to make sure that this, uh, you know, all these meetings, not just this is just one leg of, of many legs that we'll be doing over the next couple of months, trips uh, both domestically and internationally, not just to talk about the fund, but to talk about what's going on in New York City. You know, on the office front, on the retail front, 
on the uh, credit opportunities. You know, tourism, hotels, or you know, ADRs and uh, occupancy going you know up significantly. Job growth. I think there were 24,000 new businesses since pandemic uh, uh, created in New York. That's more than most cities even have. So, you know, it's like an amazing uh, story that I think needs to be told because on the comments I made earlier, if you rely only on the headlines, you get sort of a different impression of what's taking place on the ground. Okay. And the second question is, Matt, uh, you know, just thinking about to Harold, as a template for other deals, uh, potentially for the uh, those 10 standalone strategic assets. Can you give us a sense of how many of your loans are held directly versus in CMBS, just trying to understand you know, your ability to negotiate? Can you negotiate as well with a CMBS special servicer as you can if it's being held directly by a financial institution? Yeah, it's Matt. I'm gonna take this one over to uh, to Harrison. To answer the first question, off the top of my head, I think it's about four or five loans that sit in the CMBS uh, as opposed to balance sheet. Uh, and we've had you know, great, ne- good negotiations with both uh, CMBS lenders and the special servicers, uh, as well as balance sheets. So uh, I wouldn't say that either option is restrictive to us. Um, you know, there are obviously some more complexities when working with CMBS lenders, but uh, we're working through that on a few loans now as part of the $5 billion plan. Uh, and we're well underway in those negotiations. Thank you. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. And our next question is going to come from the line of Tom Catterwood with BTIG. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Steve, maybe going back to, to your answer to a previous question, you mentioned kind of several large leases that should bump up uh, the mark-to-market average for the year. You know, a, a bulk of your activity in 23, at least earlier in 23, was more small and bid-sized leases. What are you seeing as far as as tenant sizes in the pipeline? Has that is that starting to skew? You starting to see kind of larger tenants coming back in the market, or is it still mainly dominated by those uh, smaller requirements? Um, well, we've got. I'll make a couple points. Right now, our pipeline is almost a million four hundred thousand square feet. That's up over a hundred thousand square feet where we were at investor conference. And in the face of signing over 100,000 square feet of leases since that time period as well, um, the, I would say probably 60% or more of the deals pending right now are financial services uh, businesses. I don't think that's necessarily commentary as 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 if they're the sole driver in the market. As a matter of fact, we're seeing a lot of tour activity from law firms government, education, even some tech firms right now. It just happens to be a reflection of where we have availability within our portfolio. And it's a pretty broad range of uh, sizes. Um, a lot of activity in some of the you know more moderate price buildings like Graybar Building and some of the Third Avenue buildings that are kind of small to mid-sized requirements. But then on some of the bigger financial service tenants, uh, we've got you know a number of notably large deals that are in negotiation and every single one of them is driven by those tenants having a growth component of uh, of their space requirement 
Thanks. Appreciate that, Steve. Uh, and then for second question, maybe Mark or, or, or Matt, um, first off, Congrats on, on getting the refinancing done at seven day. And Mark had mentioned the, the $5 billion that you'd, of refinancings you had laid out in the investor conference. Um, I know we're early in the year, but kind of what are the next priorities on your list when it comes to refinancings and how are those conversations trending so far? Well, I, I think, you know, I just, just for, you know, for conciseness, we, um, we set out asset by asset in December, you know, which we've never done before, um, our plan. And, you know, we noted in each case where we thought we would be able to uh, be successful in getting some kind of modification extension done on, uh, you know, a, 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 you know m- debt that has maturities mostly in 24, 25, 26. We want to try and take care of almost, you know, all of certainly 24 and 25. And, you know, with the goal of getting uh, – New maturity dates of 27, end of 27 and beyond, so really 28. Um, and so, in terms of like you know next priority, that group of assets is all the priority. I think there's five or six uh, in total that we're probably working on in various stages. Um, you know, and it's uh, look like nothing's easy in this market uh, for sure. But between what we showed you last year and you know and what we continue to show in this quarter is uh, there's going to be differentiation in this market between, uh, you know, sponsors that partners and lenders are going to want to work with and uh, sponsors uh, where lenders and partners uh, may not want to. I mean, it's, uh, it happens every time you get a bit of a market dislocation like this. It's, there's, a, there's a weeding out process. Uh, and then the market recovers. And, you know, sometime in the future, it happens again. So, uh, I'm just uh, happy and feel fortunate that as a company, uh, we've got the reputation and the, uh, the platform and the resources to be able to, you know, work productively with uh, our counterparties, you know, always trying to come up with solutions that are, you know, sort of the best available solutions for all. Sometimes the great solutions, sometimes they're, you know, uh, you know, uh, more painful solutions, but we're always uh, trying to do it. Uh, you know, in a way that knowing that uh, these counterparties or people in this market we have to deal with year after year after year, and, you know, what comes around, uh, you know, from these efforts, I think, pay off for us in the future. So I feel pretty good about where we are and uh, the job we have ahead of us this year and next to get uh, all of uh, that debt, you know, sort of firmly landed, restructured, extended on terms that we can – that we can manage, but uh, it's only January. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. Our next question is going to come from the line of John Kim with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, kudos on Two Herald Square. Um, but going forward, the cost of carry is still pretty high given the ground lease. And it sounds like if you're going to reposition it, it's going to be fairly capital intensive. Um, at this point, are you more inclined to sell it or joint venture uh, the asset? Or do you plan to keep it on balance sheet? And will this stay in your alternative strategy portfolio? This is Harry. Uh- you know, right now we're working through uh, you know, various avenues. We we got through the um, you know, the first path of this, which is with the, lend- the leasehold lender. 
Um, but we have a lot of time here. Uh, we've, we've got a lot of time. We're working through the asset. We know it very well. We've owned it for a few years now. Um, and we're working through the avenues and we'll present it to you, uh, you know, over the coming uh, quarters. Yeah, I, I think this is, a, this is a business plan that we'll be developing over the course of the year. Uh, it's not one we highlighted for you guys in December. Um, you know, our priorities were elsewhere. Now it's, uh, you know, now that there's, there's a reordering of the capital stack, it's, it's now feasible to start thinking about long-term value. Uh, but, you know, we can't do it in a day or two. I mean, this is something we're going to study and we're going to be testing the market and certainly by, uh, by, you know, six to 12 months, we're going to have a, a game plan for this asset. And we're going to try to, uh, you know, on a reset basis, something that might not have worked in the old, uh, you know, uh, formula will work now. And, and that's, that's the process we're going through on, on, you know, in this situation. And will this stay in your ASP? And should we just view this as option value going forward? Yeah, it, for now, John, that'll stay in ASP. Okay. Um, my second question is on your month-to-month -month leases um, or holdover. Uh, it looks like it was 200,000 square feet combined, which is higher than previous quarters. I was wondering if you could just comment on the likelihood of these tenants moving out versus renewing or just remaining in the in the month-to-month -month portfolio. I think a lot of that is driven by some of the tenancy at 625 uh, Madison Avenue. Um, that's right. Yeah, because that's the, the leases there have technically been terminated. Yeah, they're, they're holdovers. Yep. So, you know, that building, as you know, is in contract for sale. So it's it's not really a, an indicator of anything else that's going on in the broader market. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. Our next question is going to come from the line of Anthony Poloni with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, yeah, thank you. you know, Mark, you talked about the, the the big retail trades that occurred earlier in your comments. Can you just talk about any shift in sentiment, though, that you picked up in terms of investing in office and, and whether that's changed much? Well, I think that goes back to the pools of capital uh, that I was referring to. So, yeah, I'd say it's changed a lot because there's like – I don't know how many, you know, billions and billions of dollars of announced capital forming for credit and equity, uh, you know, targeting not exclusively, but certainly uh, a significant amount is, is going to be targeted towards the office sector, including our own efforts. And that's the first sign of, uh, you know, this is this is a playbook you guys have seen a couple of times before. It's not it's not anybody's first rodeo. And, uh, you know, it, it's. You know, it, it's already been four years since pandemic, you know, and uh, the business fundamentals in this city are very strong and people are, you know, back to work. And, you know, it's time for a lot of investors who have been, uh, you know, sort of off, uh, you know, to office except for what I'll call, you know, sort of the special assets in great locations, uh, et cetera. I mean, those, those kinds of assets rode through this period of time like champs. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of other, you know, buildings out there that, you know, need to be attended to. And I think you're going to see the liquidity break. And, you know, the first step are these, uh, you know, uh, capital pools forming. 
and then the institution, uh, the institutions will follow right behind, in my opinion. Okay, and then just the second one, I, you may have given this out, and maybe I missed it, but on the debt fund, uh, how much is, is going to be SL Green's, uh, I guess, co-investment? Well, we know, but I think that's TBD in terms of announcement. So okay. I would say stand by, I guess, is, uh, you know, it's, it's not a question. I mean, we, you know, we... As you know, we, we tend to like to have, you know, real skin in the game. I mean, we're investors as much as we're, you know, managers of monies for others. Um, so, you know, we'll have real skin in this game. But, you know, it has to fit within our overall liquidity program for the year. And, uh, you know, we, we feel very good about the levels we're going out with. We'll, uh, you know, show our uh, confidence and belief in this, uh, in this program. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, and one moment as we move on to our next question. Our next question is going to come from the line of Zikri Maholtra with Mizuho. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for the questions. I, I just wanted to, maybe Steve Durrells or, 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 or even Matt, just um, you talked a lot about you know market improvement, you know the job outlook picture looking better and return to work and all that. I'm just Trying to square square that with, if you look at the leasing pipeline that you mentioned, um, plus the expirations and, and factor and renewal rates, I'm just trying to square all that with how you your latest thoughts on occupancy, and then tying that occupancy back, Matt, perhaps to uh, ultimate fat gen, fat cash flow generation. It, it just seems like there there could be a big lag between all the lease up, the known move outs, etc before you actually see a meaningful inflection in, uh, in underlying fad generation. Thanks. Yeah. You know, the, obviously, you know, sitting here in January, having given guidance about seven weeks ago, you know, we will uh, say we're, we're on plan. The pipeline is actually probably a little bigger, uh, as Steve said, than it was back in the investor conference, even after signing, you know, hundred thousand feet in January, hundred thousand feet back in December, the pipeline still grow. Uh, so it puts us and based on what's in the pipeline, puts us squarely on our, targets for occupancy increase, uh, which was going from, you know, 90 at the end of the year with a goal of 91.6 by the end of 24, uh, with a goal of 2 million square feet of leasing. You know, this is, you know, a great start towards those goals. As to how that translates back through to to FAD, yeah, of course, there's a lag, Um, particularly when you're doing new leasing, and you've seen that over the last couple of years, it lags uh, when occupancy is going down, the roll down takes uh, time to roll through and the same thing will happen on the roll up. So do we see the biggest benefit of going from 90 to 91.6 in the 24 uh, fad? No, it'll roll through, you know, in the coming years. Uh, But we are on the right trajectory and uh, consistent with the plan we laid out in December. Got it. Okay. And then just, sorry, to go back to, I know you've had a lot of questions on two Herald, but, um, just two two clarifications. One, can you give us any um, color, or maybe even just based on precedent, like how should we think about the the ground lease reset? I, I believe it's 2027. And then, you know, related to that, you mentioned there are a variety of strategies that you know you have in mind. But I'm uh, perhaps you can give us some thought about timeline because, you know, today if you look at a lot of office buildings, just where debt is, where values are, you would argue like equity value has been diminished tremendously and you need to sort of take perhaps a long enough time frame to think about value creation. 
Uh, and given this building, I think is what 20 or 30 percent leaves, it seems like there's a, a very heavy lift. So I'm just trying to get us more thought around how you're thinking about a the the ground lease and then b value creation. Well, the, the value creation question is I, 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 I tried to address earlier. I mean, step one is come up with our plan. Um, I can't. Yeah, you know, that's really as far as I can go with that at this moment. Is uh, you know, this is an asset now we've we've probably been involved with redeveloped and maximized assets like this for the last 27 years and you know i think we've done 124 million square feet of investment almost all of which is exclusively midtown much of which is is like to herald so this doesn't present in my opinion the unique challenges you might be referring to. We look at this as opportunity. I love the flexibility, and I like the location, and we'll come up with a plan. Um, the comment about it's going to take a very long time, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I heard a lot of that on 625 Madison, um, and that turned into a very uh, you know, excellent resolution for this company in a very quick period of time. So I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, subscribe to the notion that it's going to take a long period or a short period of time. We're going to, you know, just manage it the way we manage the other 30 million square feet we're involved with. And I have no particular concern uh, about anything unique to this asset. I think it's a very good asset. Um, it's uh, it's vacant because we had a tenant go out. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like no mystery. I think prior to the tenant going out, it was like very well leased. <laughs> so buildings sometimes go from well leased to, you know, having some vacancy when a tenant rolls out, but then you, you know, resolve that vacancy. And I mentioned we can do it in a number of different ways, and we're going to look to optimize this. That's that. Um, on the ground lease, there's a reset. I don't know if there's much to talk about there because it's it's early, but there is a reset. I don't know. Do anyone have the details on that reset? Uh, 27 is correct. I, I would just say um, we have a well-aligned fee owner here. Um, they want to see us uh, maximize and create value. Um, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear we're in active negotiations with them, um, you know, to give us the opportunity to, to maximize the value here. So, um, you know, we're, we're working through that, and it'll be part of uh, the updates as we get through the year. No, that that was helpful. Yeah, my comment, I guess, just I was wondering if there was something more specific because no, not at the moment. The I would say I stay tuned. The and, would, uh, I would stay tuned, no. and in June um, or on a next call, actually, it won't be on a next call. I would say. Give us six months, and we may have more to come on a business plan, uh, but we don't have it yet. I just no, I, was just I was just surprised, like in yeah. general, from the lender that like there was a hundred eighty million dollar loan. Okay. And like the, the way you described it, it sounded like there was a lot of optionality. So I was just surprised yep. that the lender was okay with seven. Yep. And that's why I thought there was something more specific to this asset, okay. which is which was my comment. Yeah. I understand. Um, you know, thank you, and we'll definitely readdress it later this year. Thank you. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Camille Benil with Bank of America. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi. Impressive outcome on the 717 Fifth Avenue sale. Are you seeing third-party demand at these levels for high street retail beyond the user buyers we've seen in the details in the deals that you've mentioned in your opening remarks? 
Yeah, no, that, that's an excellent question. Um, we've got Brett Hershenfeld, uh, who you know, uh, heads up all of our retail and strategic. Um, why don't you, so the question is putting user demand aside, mm -hmm. how's the uh, sort of, you know, the high-end rental market looking like? Uh, the high-end rental market uh, was really being driven by Madison Avenue to start. Uh, we had the likes of Valentino and Jimmy Choo and Dior and McQueen, Van Cleef, all signed big leases on Madison Avenue in the past year. Uh, Fifth Avenue is right behind and starting to pick up, and that'll be nice to see 717 filled on Fifth Avenue. Um, in terms of, you know, investors, I mean, related and their acquisition of 625 Madison, a big part of that transaction is value recognition of the retail. And, you know, they are an investor, you know, obviously not a user. So uh, there are more behind that, but uh, we'll be sharing that, you know, in the uh, months to come. Okay. And Matt, can you talk to how you're thinking about your floating rate exposure today? Guidance that was set out in December looked to reduce your exposure down to single digits by year-end 23. Has anything changed on this front, and would you be comfortable operating at the current levels or higher? Uh, no, I think we're, we're on the path. Uh, we expect it to be on most of the fixed rate uh, debt that we have today is fixed even beyond the end of the year, so there's not much we can do with that. As to the, uh, the other floating rate debt, a lot of that is what we expect to to take out as we reduce debt over the course of the, the year. Uh, in fact, taking out 717 reduces our floating rate exposure uh, by itself. Taking down the revolver addresses the rest. Um, and, you know, we still want to protect ourselves, even though the, the rate environment has gotten a little bit more constructive and the forward curve looks to be coming down. Um, we want to be prudent and protective. Uh, we put a hedge on late last year, uh, forward starting hedge. That's what's flowing through earnings. You know, rates were higher than they are today, which is why it had a negative mark to market, but it's a protective exercise for uh, something we expect to execute at the end of the year. It's protecting the balance sheet. Uh, we, at this point, again, are op uh, you know, optimistic about where the rate environment is headed, but we still want to be prudent and keep that floating rate debt uh, fairly low. Thank you. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. And our next question is going to come from the line of Blaine Heck with Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks. Good afternoon. Um, so we're hearing that the Park Avenue corridor has gotten really tight at this point, given the strong tenant interest in that submarket. Are you seeing a spillover effect in any specific submarkets or maybe buildings within your portfolio that are now seeing more interest uh, since, you know, that kind of uh, tier one space is, is getting leased up? Yeah, I don't think it's unique to Park Avenue, but but you're right. Park Avenue's got an availability uh, that's like something like 9.4%. So by historical standards, you would say it's at least at equilibrium, if not tilting more back to the landlord and having more leverage on transactions because of the limited supply and lack of uh, big blocks expected to come on the market anytime in the near future. But take it to a different level, which is you've seen – with the absence of any new construction coming online in the short term, um, you've seen a lot of the new buildings and newer or heavily renovated buildings um, filling up. So 
the beneficiary of that has been Park Avenue, Sixth Avenue, Rock Center, um, you know, and and anything around uh, Grand Central Terminal is all seeing more tenant demand. Uh, so I think it's more tenants are being forced to you know shop various uh, parts of Midtown, but uh, clearly the the tenant drive is for the majority of tenants to focus their attention on the midtown market as opposed to the far west side market or certainly the downtown market. And we're, we're seeing that spill over in, on uh, all parts of our portfolio. Great. Thanks, Steve. Uh, and then the second one, just a quick one with respect to two Herald Square. As it stands now, does the NOI at that asset cover the ground lease payment? That's a question. Does, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Does the NOI and what? At, at the at 2 Herald, does that cover the ground lease payment that you guys have there? No, no, it doesn't in its current uh, occupancy, Blaine. Part of the okay. reason it's in the ASP portfolio. Great, thank you. Thank you, and one moment as we move on to our next question. And our next question comes from the line of Peter Ambrovitz with Jeffries. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, so I think the EPS guidance raise was uh, $1.38 um, in the range there, and the FFO guidance range was um, a, a dollar on the nose. So I, I think you said it was mostly related to gains on the debt extinguishment, but just wondering if there's any offsetting items or any other moving pieces in there that um, caused the difference in, in the magnitude of the raise between those two? Yeah, the, the uh, guidance adjustment for FFO is purely the uh, gain off the two herald uh, discounted debt extinguishment uh, as offset by taking out the generic $20 million gain we had in there. So that, that math works out to exactly a dollar. The difference between the dollar of FFO and a dollar 38, I think, of uh, net income is the gain uh, we'll recognize on 717. That asset did not have uh, a basis on the books, and so it's essentially all gain. Okay, got it. Uh, and then one other question on on Two Herald. Um, so I think you guys kind of covered everything from uh, from the lender's perspective. I guess from from your uh, your partner's perspective. I mean, could you talk about the motivation for for them? It seems like. Um, it, it was just a, a situation where they wanted to walk away from the asset, so you're taking over almost full control for, I think it said no consideration in, in the press release. Um, so you just kind of cover that and what the motivation was and the reasoning was from their perspective. Yeah, I appreciate the question. I, I don't want to speak for our, our partner on this call and what their motivations were. So unfortunately not much I can get into there, but um, we'll, we'll continue to update you on two Harold as we go on throughout the rest of the year. Right. Uh, I guess I, I Put another way, anything that, you know, it's obviously a very favorable resolution for you, anything specific to the situation that influenced that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you know, they're still in the deal. It's a, a minority interest, but uh, they still have an interest in the asset. Um, and beyond that, I just, again, don't want to get into how they're thinking about it and, and what their motivations were. Okay. Thank but, you. Thank you. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. Uh, 
our next question is going to come from the line of Ronald Camden with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Great. Hey, just two quick ones. So first is just on the trips to Asia that you're talking about um, after this call. I was just wondering, was that sort of related to the one Vanderbilt or the 245 Park JV? And maybe can you provide an update how conversations were going and any any sort of timing uh, yeah. if that deal is still for the first all, time? All of, you know, everything, I'd say our whole business plan is on the table, not just I, – I know there's a lot of questions I'm getting about this Asia trip because I mentioned it. We do this, like, every couple of weeks. You know, uh, you know, not to Asia, but uh, you know, all over the country and different parts of the world, we're visiting partners, lenders, and on these trips, you know, we make them targeted. But we're talking about everything that's part of our business plan, really, for 24. Um, and you know, that's how we got to get it done. I mean, it's uh, you got to start early if we want to get it done by end of year, and. Uh, uh, and so things like uh, OVA, 245, I don't know, seven day, and everything else we talked about in December, yeah, I mean, there'll be, there'll be uh, discussions we're having on each and every one of those. On, on OVA in particular, how do you want to give an update? Yeah, c consistent with, um, you know, the message we delivered in December, uh, we're in active negotiations on the interest. Um, you know these negotiations that we're involved in. They're they're confirming exactly what we said. What we said, which is there's global and domestic demand uh, for this. You know, it's, it's a one of a kind asset, and, and that's obvious to every investor we're speaking and negotiating with. Um, and as Mark said, we're still on plan for on plan for this year. Great. So my second question is just taking a stab at, at two Harold and, and taking a step back. So the alternative strategy portfolio has ten assets. And, you know, this two Harold, congrats on the deal, uh, gets sort of done. And what looks like it's an uneconomic sort of decision from the bank. So the question is sort of like, out of all these other assets in the ASP, is two Harold just unique? Or are there other assets that look and feel the same? And which ones where, you know, you could have such an outcome? Thanks. Yeah, it's Matt. So first, I'll correct you. It's not ten anymore. It's nine assets because seven seventeen was in there too, and that's that's now sold. I got. Sold. But look, in right. in in creating this, you know, or or segregating this portfolio, we said, you know, there's there's very little, if any, NAV carried for these assets on the street. Uh, don't generate a lot, if any, earnings. Don't have book value. So they kind of were unique from the rest of the core portfolio. But there's a lot of interesting opportunities that may come out of them. Uh, you know, two two out of the ten happened in the first you know, 30 days of the year, uh, or two and two hours. I think one the, uh, are there more opportunities to come out of there? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, we're working on a couple of things, but working on a lot. So, you know, we're going to continue, which is what we've been doing with these assets. And again, why we, why we put them off in its own portfolio. Uh, I, I can't characterize whether any of them are exactly like a two Herald or exactly like a seven seventeen. Um, but the reason we are carrying these assets the way we are is because, uh, there's, there's embedded value that might not be appreciated. We're going to look to, to mine it helpful. Thanks so much. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. And our next question is going to come from the line of Michael Griffin with City. Your line is open. Please go ahead. 
Great, thanks. Um, maybe just a question on the leasing pipeline. Can you give us a sense if it's mostly new or renewal leases that are there? And then on the concession front, is it fair to say that it's stabilized or maybe even declined somewhat, particularly in a you know a you know very high performing submarket like Park Avenue? Um, I'll take the second part first. I, I don't think the concessions have come down. Um, I think they've been stable for all of last year. Um, I think there's a little more strength, particularly on Park Avenue, to your point, uh, on the renewal side than there was on uh, versus new deals. But, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still expensive from a landlord's perspective as far as the concession packages go. Um, but I don't, I, I think we, I think we hit the stabilization point, you know, early last year. So that's, that's the good news of, of that story. And then as far as uh, renewals versus new deals, um, it's driven sort of 50, 50 between new and renewal, but each of the, a lot of our bigger renewals also have very significant expansion components in them. And that's, I think, uh, pretty noteworthy because it's if you really you know went through every one of our deals that are out there to see so much growth particularly within tenants in the financial uh, services sector but also some of the law firm tenants that are coming through our door uh, we're seeing a lot more uh, growth a lot more confidence a lot more com- willingness to commit significant capital by the tenant uh, as they look to rebuild and rebrand their spaces so that makes us all feel pretty good about where we stand right now Great. That's helpful. Um, and then just on the DPE book, I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing any more appetite or, or opportunities for future originations, given the distress and, and dislocation that we've seen out in the market. Well, that's really the underpinnings of, uh, of, the, uh, of the opportunity fund that we're in the process of, of marketing and raising. We see a lot of opportunities. I mean, we see many, many opportunities, but obviously – no different than in, in prior markets, only select ones that we think uh, are of you know, interest to us and where we want to deploy our capital. Uh, but the opportunity set so big that we want to have uh, some third parties alongside with us to take advantage fully, uh, like we've done in past recoveries, because I've always said you know, a lot of the money is made in the first year or two coming out of recovery. I feel like that's where we are now. And... Um, you know, want to make sure we got our ducks lined up to take advantage of things. We very possibly may act preemptively and then uh, backfill with the fund. We'll see how these things go. But yeah, we're we're seeing a lot right now, and I think that's the first step towards you know more n- normalized institutional participation. Once uh, we can illuminate, you know, where values and levels uh, are, especially in this environment where we've got falling rates which I think will certainly, uh, you know, ease the, uh, the liquidity pipeline and get things going again. Great. That's it for me. Thanks for the time. Thanks. Thank you. And one moment as we move on to our next question. Our next question is going to come from the line of Caitlin Burroughs with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Please go ahead. 
Uh, hi, good afternoon, everyone. Maybe just a question on leasing broadly. The starting rent per square foot um, on the leases signed in the quarter was pretty high at 105 per square foot and included, a, uh, as you mentioned, some leasing at 280 Park and 245 Park. So I was wondering, could you talk more about how tenant activity and leasing activity is shaping up across the portfolio, uh, including some of the more affordable buildings? Well, um, yeah, you know, the, the rents were high because we did some big deals on Park Avenue, uh, and they were driven by some of our, you know, higher price point buildings. But as we see it right now, looking at the pipeline, you know, of the 400,000 square feet of leases that we have out right now, um, I'm just looking at the list real quick. Every single one of those, with the exception of one moderate-sized deal, is in more of the moderate price point buildings. So a 485 Lexington Avenue, 1185-6, Gray Bar, 711 3rd Avenue, things like that. So those are rents that are generally in the you know, 60 to $70 price point as opposed to the uh, triple-digit rents that you saw us print on some of our uh, Park Avenue uh, buildings uh, at the end of last year. Okay, uh, got it. And maybe just as a follow-up to that kind of list of deals that you're looking at, do you have a sense for if those uh, tenants are ones that are generally renewing space they were already in, and if they're alternatively like moving in from somewhere else where they might have been coming from? Yeah, well, I mentioned earlier that of the of the million four uh, pipeline, it's roughly 50-50. It's between renewals and, uh, and, and new tenants. And on the renewals, you know, 90... Five percent of those are tenants that are renewing in place as opposed to relocating to a different building or a different space within our portfolio. But um, uh, what's not really articulated well as far as just saying it's 50-50 is that a good number of our of uh, the deals that we're working on right now have significant expansion components, whether they be renewal deals or um, um, uh, new tenants coming into the portfolio. Sorry, by expansion component, you're saying they are expanding or they have an option to expand in the future? No, meaning they are making they're searching for larger spaces. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. And one moment for our next question. And our next question comes from the line of Nick Ulico with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. I just wanted to go back to two Harold and, and be clear here. Um, did you already own any piece of the mortgage there, or um, you know, buy it at some point, uh, like in the last year? And that's that's what's affecting the net payment number that you're citing. I don't understand the question. Did, did we? Or is it third party debt, or did we own any of it? Is that your question, Nick? Yeah, exactly. All all third party. We didn't own any. Okay. Th thanks. And then just. On the, the second part, on was it was there also was there any piece of like a, a mez or a pref piece there that also affected you know the ability to you know get higher equity in the joint venture now? Is the Wall Street Journal asking? <laughs> I'm just trying to clear up. It's not very, it's not very clear in the uh, in, oh. in your uh, press release here. What, what's the no. answer, man? The, the answer is no. None of that. None okay. Of that Thank you. No problem. Thank you, and I would now like to turn the conference back over to Mark Holliday for closing remarks. Okay. This was a, this was a good two Herald conference call, <laughs> and I'm glad we got some other things in there as well uh, that aren't in the ASP portfolio. 
and uh, appreciate very much those that uh, muscled through to the end. We thank you for the support, for listening in, getting to work uh, on the fund, and we'll talk to you in three months. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.